America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money, your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock, and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP, are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor with offices in San Diego, California, and Summerlin, Nevada, with only one goal in mind, to provide meaningful, thoughtful, and tax-efficient advice. We provide investment and generational wealth management guidance while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we look to help you navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasters, speculators, and prognostications. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Engineer Griff is busy today attending an AP course at his high school. So we're without Griff today, but let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where are we going today? Hey, Mark, thanks for the wonderful intro. And uh, Griff, since you're skipping the podcast, we expect uh, A plus, a 10 out of 10, 100 on whatever exam you're studying for. Um, Mark, today we're taking a break from thinking about the Federal Reserve and talking about um, uh, money, at least in terms of making more of it. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the impact money can have and how it can do good in people's lives. We're going to talk philanthropy. And there's no better guest, uh, friend of both of ours, friend of the podcast, to, to have on the podcast to talk about philanthropy than Jordan Fruckman. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. So, Jordan, I'm going to give uh, our listeners a brief introduction uh, about you. And anything I get wrong, feel free to correct me or add to uh, but Jordan uh, exudes philanthropy and uh, also especially uh, Jewish philanthropy. Uh, he got his MBA in 2008 from Brandeis, specializing in the social sector. He was the executive director of Hillel in Irvine, my hometown, working with students from UC Irvine and Chapman University. A quick fun fact, my favorite people from Irvine, uh, other, other than my family, Zach De La Rocha, lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, uh, Will Farrell, who needs no introduction, and Ezra Klein, uh, author from the New York Times. So there's something about Irvine. There you go. Yeah. And Jordan spent uh, three years in Irvine uh, work, uh, as the executive director of Hillel. Uh, he then moved to uh, North County, San Diego, uh, Encinitas in particular, working with Moisha House uh, for almost a decade as the chief program officer. And currently, he's the chief program officer of uh, Repair the World, which is creating a national Jewish service movement. So really, nobody better to talk philanthropy with today. Jordan, is there anything about your bio you'd like to add? You know, I love that bio. I, I, I started actually um, way before this uh, in college working with a philanthropist. Um, and that's really where I got, you know, my start with, you know, in uh, in understanding philanthropy. When, when you met this individual, were you already gravitating towards working in the sector or was it through your interaction with him? Um, I was gravitating towards it. I, I um, you know, I don't I, I start I, I had an idea when I was in college about helping some folks, about helping some homeless families. And it was just an idea until a couple of philanthropists stepped in and gave me my first grant that I ever wrote. 
And it was, it really opened my eyes to this whole new world of like, wow, you can, you can change the world. You can have an idea to change the world. And through philanthropy, you can actually make it happen. So a lot of college kids are idealistic. They want to improve the world. But as an undergraduate student at UC Santa Barbara. That's right. A wonderful school that's produced the most Nobel Prize winning economists of any UC, according to my brother, who's also a gaucho. Um, most people are undergrad. They might have uh, grand visions, how to improve the world. Um, but you actually wrote a grant uh, as an undergraduate student to solve a problem. I sure did. Uh, Mark, did you do that as an undergrad? I did not. No, I didn't do that as an undergrad, but when I was in my mid-20s, I became um, interested in an organization. Uh, I was living in Los Angeles uh, called Jewish Big Brothers, Big Sisters of LA, and I picked up the phone and, and called and became a volunteer big brother. That's 1987. Uh, you weren't even born yet, though, Mark. I was, You weren't born yet, Steve, <laughs> um, but uh, I was barely born. And I, I was a volunteer big brother for uh, a little over 10 years officially, although today I'm still in touch with my little brother. He's now in his mid 40s. Uh, but I, I continued on with that organization, eventually joining the board. And I was actually the board chairman of Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA for three years, which ended in 2019, uh, just before COVID. Um, and I've been involved in a couple other other organizations on the board level. For me, it's always been about helping kids and children for whatever reason, that's where my interests you know, were, were kind of directed. Um, and I think different people have different reasons. I think that's, I think that'd be interesting to talk about that a little bit today with, with Jordan. Um, just quickly, for an example, we, our firm works with a family that um, they're, they're, the organization they support is very near and dear to their heart is uh, the Pancreatic Cancer Foundation because they lost a dear family member to pancreatic cancer. So I think my point is that different people have different reasons to gravitate towards a specific entity or organization, whether it's through just volunteering or through financial support or both. I think you know they, volunteering can lead to financial support when, it, when it's capable. Um, and I think one of the things we, I, I'm interested in hearing Jordan talk about is how do people, you know, identify that or what could he help people think about if they have an inclination to, to spend some time or dedicate some of their financial um, wherewithal to different organizations. So kind of the how and why. So with that, I'll kind of throw it back to Jordan here where he kind of told us how he got involved in the philanthropic side, but I'd love to hear more. Well, Mark, that before we jump, um, what what led you? And, and I think this will be a good segue to um, uh, Jordan's answer to that question too. But um, what what led you to volunteer as a Big Brother? You know, I watched a documentary on PBS, and it was this is in the mid '80s, and it just happened to. I, honestly, I didn't watch a lot of documentaries on PBS at that time, <laughs> but I happened to. Shocked. Be, I'm personally uh, shocked. Right. Uh, I, I happened to, to be, you know, channel surfing at the time, and it was many fewer channels at that time that you could surf through. And it was a story of a, of a young boy um, in that case who, you know, had, didn't have a father. And this organization kind of, you know, his mother had found this organization and, you know, on and on and on and how it worked. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool thing. I was single. I had, I had, some spare time, you know, it was kind of a weekend gig, uh, every other weekend gig. 
and it was an, it, it, there was enough that piqued my curiosity that caused me to go to the yellow pages and look up the name of the organization and give them a call. That, that's an awesome story. So then Jordan, with, with Mark sharing his story and, and you already mentioned um, uh, uh, identifying a problem and, and writing a grant and seeing the impact that that can have. In your experience, um, uh, what leads most people to the why of why they get involved with philanthropy? Um, is it usually this kind of serendipity or lightning bolt? Or what if, if someone's doing uh, well in life and wants to start to give back, but hasn't found their calling? Do you have any advice uh, in those situations? Yeah, I mean, I think the best place to start is with your own values and doing a values assessment. I mean, you could give to any charity that you, you know, giving is good. I, I, I approve, you know, keep, keep giving. And if you really want to um, not only make an impact, but make it feel right for you, I think you start with values um, and then think about just like Mark did, you know, what are your interests and what are your passions? And if you marry those things, values, passions, and interests, generally you can find a nonprofit organization, a charity that um, that aligns with some of those pieces. Um, the, you know, Mark, Mark's story really highlights the power of stories. Um, how, you know, hearing the story of that young boy and, and how important that was, I think, um, it's great to gravitate towards that. Um, and then I, you know, I think that, um, it just makes people happy. You know, there's actually research and studies that show that, um, giving increases the dopamine levels in, in your brain. Um, it, 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 uh, releases the dopamine. That's no, that that's, that's fantastic. And, um, okay. Uh, Mark, thanks for sharing your story, Jordan. Um, I, I, I think I have a little homework to do. I think I know my values, my passion and my interests, but I haven't found the organization that clicks with me yet. Um, I am doing a three mile La Jolla swim on September 11th and they donate, uh, the proceeds, um, uh, to teach inner city kids in, in how to swim. Uh, I haven't done anything beyond signing up for the swim, uh, but that certainly checks a few of my boxes. So. Yeah, you're passionate about you're passionate about swimming. That's something you're really interested and passionate about. And at the same time, you can do good with with that thing that you're passionate about. No, uh, that's okay. Okay, good point, and that's gonna that's gonna provoke some further thought uh, and hopefully action on my side. So thank you for that. Um, we've covered so far the why. Uh, next, I'm hoping we can cover the how. Yeah. So Jordan, once you establish your why. Uh, how do we ensure that we pick the right organization and maximize the impact of our money and, and possibly time? Yeah, I think two things are, are really important. There's a story, an old story about a river that had lots of trash flowing down the river. And one day someone decided to start picking up that trash out of the river. And people saw that that kid and more and more showed up to, to keep getting that trash. And one day another kid came and, and wouldn't pick up the trash. And they started walking. And, and the kids were like, well, where are you walking? Where are you going? And they said, I'm gonna go up to the top of the river and see where this trash is coming from. And so we, we need both, you know, organizations need to, we, we need organizations that do both, that, that are solving the immediate needs right now and also looking at the root causes. And I think that's one way to differentiate where you wanna give and how you wanna give. So that's number one. Number two is it's just like a financial strategy, right? You can go very broad and diversified. You can give, I'm just making up a number, $50 to 50 charities, right? Uh, and, and, and that will you know, really uh, spread your, your money quite far, but you can feel good about 50 different organizations you're helping. 
And there's another strategy that's more focused or narrow um, where you, you highlight one or two, maybe three causes, and you give uh, more money or more uh, resources to those to a fewer number of causes. And, I, and both strategies are great. And it's just about figuring out how you want to give. Um, Mark, had you heard that river trash parable before? No, I, I've, I've heard a variation of it, but it's it's so true, right? Uh, and, and thanks for sharing that. that that's, that's a great story. And that's a great thought. And I think that'll be really thought provoking for a lot of people, right? No, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, those are great. Those are great thoughts, Jordan. And then, um, so let's say we decide to go the focused route. Yeah. Um, you, you prompted a few questions, but the first one, let's say you go the focused route. How do you vet? Uh, so let's say, you know, what, what kind of organization, it, maybe it's the environment. You mentioned the river uh, trash story, but um, let's say you decide I want to focus on the environment. How do you go about vetting an organization and making sure they're using the money wisely, that your money's not going to be wasted, that it has a good impact? Like you mentioned, if Mark and I were asked to vet another RIA or another fund manager, we know how to go on the SEC website, use the tools. What are the tools in the philanthropy space to do due diligence on an organization? Uh, it's a great question. I think, you know, for me, the best tool is the form called the 990. It's a tax form and it's available to anybody. Um, every nonprofit organization in the U.S. has to file one every year. So um, you can go on to websites like Charity Navigator or GuideStar. Really, you can Google it um, and you'll find the 990. Um, I, I like on the on page one of any 990, It'll tell you the financial story. It'll paint a picture, a financial picture of the organization. What are their assets? How much are they, are they running a deficit every year? Um, how much uh, is going towards program versus fundraising? Um, it really gives you a good idea. Um, and then it also has to list the, the top salaries in the organization. So that's also something I look for. Is there a balance there between uh, how big the organization is and how much the CEO is, is making? Um, but the form 990 is 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 one of your top ways to do it. Um, and then just like anything that you're going to invest in, you know, there's plenty of ways to do research in terms of their website, the board of directors, the staffing, all those pieces. You could go down a, a nice rabbit hole there. That, that's excellent. Um, that, 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 that's um, that's really helpful to know. Um, so the um, and then in the on the other pathway. You mentioned uh, um, the the fifty dollars or the general strategy. Um, some people's hang up might be: uh, Is my check going to even make a difference? Um, and so, in the context of your fifty dollars, like, uh, what would you tell someone? You know, when they have enough money, or or um, uh, 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 like what the right amount is per month or per year that could really make a difference. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know what's great about that question. Um, is, you know, is, is that it's really all about relationships in the end, everything that we do is all about relationships. And so in, in that space, even if you want to give $50, call, call the organization, ask to speak to their development director or their CEO, find out, ask one simple question. What do you need? What do you need most right now? If there's one thing I could say not to do is come up with your own idea of what they need and what they should be doing. Just ask. <laughs> They'd be they'd be so happy to talk to you about it and to find out. And and the other piece of this is that um, you know there's really two metrics here. One is the dollars, the amount of dollars that that are being raised. But the other is the amount of supporters that an organization has. Mm. And they're both 
vital to the organization. They're both, you can't just like diversifying any portfolio, you can't rely on one, two donors. You need a base of support. And so giving that $50 is precious um, and really important to organizations. Yeah, let me, if I could just add to that, I, just based on my experience, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jordan. I think that's so important. I think some people, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, I can only afford to give 50 or $100 or whatever the amount is. You know, it's all relative, right? $50 might be more meaningful to somebody, you know, than, than a million might be to somebody else, right? It's all relative. And, and the, the thing is, is if you get involved or you start talking about an organization, you never know who, who's listening and who might have, you know, deeper pockets or greater wherewithal. And all of a sudden they become interested. And you're right, the development officers, as I'm sure you can speak for hours about, you know, spend their time looking to raise money and find new sources and long-term commitments. Um, and, but unsolicited calls inbound are a breath of fresh air and always welcome. And you're never gonna be like laughed off the phone or out of the office. And I, I liked your tip before the podcast that if you call a, um, a nonprofit and say, I'm a philanthropist, that they'll take your call. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's, a, that's a very good tip. Um, Mark, when you were uh, uh, working with uh, Jewish Big Brothers, um, uh, Jewish Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Los Angeles, JBBLA, sorry if I butchered, JB, J JBBLA, right? JBBBSLA. Thank you. I knew it was okay. Jewish Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Los Angeles. Um, did you get that uh, the dopamine hit Jordan was talking about? Did yeah. Um, again, I don't want to take too much time away from Jordan, but it's interesting. After you know, thirty-five years with the organization, and I said this publicly. I said it many, many times. Um, you know, the from from the outside view, the the thirty-five thousand foot view. You think in the mentoring side, which is the big brother, big sister part of that organization, and there are many other parts to that organization, camps, uh, apps that help kids with, with emotional problems, all kind of, of services. The view is, oh man, like the kids must get so much out of it. Like it's for the kids, like they're the, they're the big winners, right? And on a, on, a, on a huge level, that is absolutely the truth. But I will tell you something, for me personally, I was the big winner, okay? The satisfaction I got, the feelings I got from, from, I hope, making a positive impact on the young man's life that I was involved with. And then from, you know, upper management, if you will, the board level, um, seeing all the good that we did, um, that was a dopamine hit. I mean, the, the kids benefited, no question about it. We, we served 30,000 kids we impact a year. Um, but but have being involved on the other side of it was so much more, um, you know, satisfying. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember actually going with you to the gala one year and just one by one, the stories that people were telling about these kids were, it was so inspirational. Yeah. Um, and, and it made, yeah. And when I, I worked for a philanthropist about 20 years ago and I'll never forget, you know, I asked him about, you know, why, why he's giving away so much money and, um, you know, it didn't make sense to me at that point in time. I was so young and he, he, um, he sat me down and he, he told me that really he's selfish um, and that uh, he's doing this for himself. And every time he gives, he feels great about himself. And if you can do, if you can understand that everybody 
is selfish in that way, if, in, in, in the best way possible. And so let's be selfish in a way that helps others, in a way that does good in the world. Um, it was a lesson that I, you know, take with me today. Yeah, that's 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 really well said. I couldn't agree more. That, that, that's awesome. I'm fe- I'm feeling better just being part of this conversation, but I I need to take it up a few notches. No, this this is good. Um, so um, so, some other some other topics. Um, Jordan, are there uh, are there any organizations or one organization in particular? Uh, that you think's uh, really doing innovative things or making a big impact today? Are there any individuals in the philanthropy space? And then third part of the question, uh, because you are, you, you've grown a lot and learned a lot in those 20 years, is where you look to make your biggest impact. Uh, I know community is important to you. Um, I know uh, 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 Judaism is very important to you. So it's sort of a three-part long question uh, is, are there any organizations you particularly admire today? Any individuals you think that are really shaking up? I, I know you had a, a direct experience with one philanthropist who's uh, making a lot of waves in the space. And the third one is um, uh, how will you look to max, maximize your impact um, uh, from here in the future? Yeah, I remember, I remember, you know, I worked for a, a, a organization that um, helped homeless families. And I remember a donor who, who gave uh, about $100 to the organization. And it was, you know, someone who was on a fixed income at the time, but it meant so much to them that to me, that was as powerful as someone giving $5 million. And so that, that philanthropist was incredible. And then uh, on the very other side of the spectrum, I think, you know, Mackenzie Scott Jewett, um, who was once married to, to Jeff Bezos, um, and who, who inherited billions of dollars and decided to give um, as much of it away as humanly possible in her lifetime, who's giving away major gifts to organizations without strings attached. And she's just telling the organizations, we, I trust you. I know you know how to do your job best. Use this money wisely. And that's a brand new approach to mega, to mega giving. Um, no one's really, no one does that. Um, there's usually a lot of strings attached or naming opportunities, all different kinds, which are fine, but this is just a new model of philanthropy. Um, that's really incredible. Yeah. I, I, I spent time with, uh, uh, Kiva, Kiva, the micro lender. And I remember people writing checks for a thousand dollars and saying, I want the receipt for the laptop. <laughs> I want the receipt from the restaurant. So to your point that, that she trusts the organization, I remember how frustrating and how much time was spent trying to document every penny um, and how the people in the organization wished that they could be using their time differently. So uh, her McKinsey's approach is definitely pretty radical and I'm sure very welcome in the, uh, in the community. Um, so th- those examples from the, from the $100 giver to McKinsey are wonderful. Are there any organizations that you think are, are really um, doing anything innovative or, or different today or that you admire? there's too many to mention. I just think there's tons and tons of organizations and, and, but more, I think more to the point, what I would think about is, um, is some of the things that are important to you and your audience. Um, it is local more important than national or global. Mm. You know, how, where do you, do, do you want to give to an outside community or to your own community? Um, in each of those kind of situations, you're going to find amazing nonprofit organizations. Um, I think that, um, do you want to talk about donor advised funds? I'm yeah. really excited about donor advised let's, funds. Let's do that. But that's a great answer, by the way. And that gets at a very important zeitgeist right now of the power shifting between local, 
national and global organizations. Oh, yeah. So that's that's great food for thought. Yeah, donor advice funds. So this is uh, we are a finance firm hosting you on the podcast. Donor advice funds is a perfect handshake across the uh, from from both sides. So donor advice funds. Uh, yeah, give us an introduction. What are they? Yeah, I I bring it up because I think it helps to answer the questions that some of the questions you were asking. So we'll get into the, or you can get into the technicalities of donor advice funds more than I can. The idea is to, um, to, to give philanthropically to a fund so that it is taxed, uh, so it's tax deductible. And then that fund itself releases, releases your money as, as you see fit to the organizations you want. You can describe it better. But the point being that most places that have the opportunity for donor advised funds, a lot of times it'll be a community foundation, for example, uh, but it could also be your, your brokerage firm, um, has professionals in the company whose job specifically is to help you identify the right charities. Mm. And so if you get into the right donor advised fund, you actually have a team of people behind you now helping you figure out where to give your money, where it will make the biggest impact. And even, even down farther up the road, how to even figure out what your kind of values, passions, and interests are around philanthropy. Very well said. And um, ironically, your $50 number comes up again because the minimum grant that Fidelity will take to start a donor advised fund uh, to create one for you is $50. So there's that number. So anyone can do it. And anyone can do it. And, 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 and um, connecting your points. Um, so if you give $50 to 500,000 in a donor advised fund, one really great uh, tax feature is that you get the tax benefit immediately, while you can um, while you can give the money to the charities over time. So to your point, if someone if someone uh, doesn't know their their why yet or their cause, but wants to do some good, you can get the tax break now. So now you get the dopamine hit, you get the tax break. Um, I really liked what you said about working with the team of advisors. That's great. Um, you can figure out where the money's going to go later. And in the meantime, the money grows. So uh, tax-free, so it'll make an even bigger impact down the road. Um, Look, let me, let me add, let me add one more thing to that conversation, because obviously uh, as, as financial advisors, you know, we, we see a real benefit in that on the, on the, the tax efficient side of the advice that we give. Um, so, I mean, it's win, 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 right? It, it's tax efficient. You're getting the dopamine hit and you're helping, as many or as few organizations as you choose to. There was, but there's another benefit to that. And when we talk about um, at our firm, you know, generational advice, and we have many clients who really should sit down and write a book about it, about, you know, you know people in their, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s who want their, their children and their grandchildren, right? to exude the same traits and, and follow the same paths that they have and, and, and hopefully in terms of, of being charitable persons. Um, and it's a great way to set up your own maybe informal advisory board with your kids and your grandchildren, right? To say, okay, let's sit down as a group now and let's talk about where we would like some of this money to go, right? And you can do it with small sums or large sums. It's just, it's, it's all relative. Um, but it's a great way to talk to your to your your children, your grandchildren, your family members about how to manage your money, use your money, and see that your money does good. No, and and um, I'm going to put everybody on the spot here. Uh, Jordan, do you have a donor advised fund? I do not. Mark, 
No, I don't have a donor advised fund. Oh, no, no. And it's great. I don't, ha- I don't have one either, but in preparing for this podcast and just connecting your thought, uh, I, ma- I made the mental note and now I'm especially going to do it. I want to set up a donor advised fund. And what you said, Mark, I want to involve uh, my kids, especially my six-year-old in the process, because you get to teach them about taxes. You get to teach them about investing. Um, you, you, you give them that philanthropic urge at a very young age. Um, and there's just, I, I think setting up the donor advice fund and involving your family, as you said, Mark is such a good idea. So I'm going to do it after this podcast. I challenge both of you guys and our listeners uh, to do the same. Uh, we'll have you back in a future podcast, Jordan. We'll change the answers uh, to that last question. Um, but the, and, and um, as Jordan mentioned, um, all the big uh, Fidelity, all the big uh, brokerage companies are going to have donor advised funds. The fees are very small. Uh, Fidelity's fees to operate are, um, and by the way, this isn't a plug for Fidelity. I was just reading the uh, donor advised fund information on their site, but their fees to operate are about 0.6% of assets uh, per year or $100, uh, whichever is greater. So it's not that expensive. And then um, you can also donate appreciated stock to a donor advised fund. So let's say ten, uh, eight years ago, intelligently, uh, you bought uh, a lot of Apple stock or uh, uh, that, that appreciates quite a bit. You can actually donate some of that to the donor advised fund. You don't have to pay capital gains taxes. Um, and instead of writing a big check to the IRS, you can give the money to your charity of, uh, of choice. And what's pretty cool is if you know you have an asset that appreciated a lot and you want to sell it because you're uh, uh, just for return purposes, you know, financial planning purposes, you don't think the stock can go up anymore. Um, you can sell it to convert it to cash um, without taking the tax in the donor advice fund. And then you can donate to the charities you want over time. So it sort of separates you know, the need to sell it, to, to maximize your pre-tax cash and the, um, how long you have to distribute the money. So donating appreciated stock to a donor advised fund uh, can be a particularly good idea or even a really appreciated mutual fund. Um, we've, we've come across clients in both of those situations. So if you have a mutual fund, uh, or, or a stock that's appreciated quite a bit, a donor advised fund could be a great option. Uh, Can I yeah, add to absolutely. Or, or getting a big bonus one year. Um, it's a great, I mean, it's a great ta- tax tool and it's a great um, way to say like, okay, I don't know where I'm giving today. So let me put, let me park this money in a donor advised fund. And that gives me the space and time to figure that out. Uh, no, uh, perfect. Well said. And um, let's throw another tax tip on here since it is a finance podcast. Um, one other option for the baby boomer generation uh, that's done really well with stocks and real estate. Um, you, you get to that point in life with your uh, uh, individual retirement account or your IRA where the government requires required minimum distributions or RMDs. That is ordinary income uh, taxed at pretty high rates, federal and state. If you give your RMD directly to a charity, uh, you don't have to pay tax on that either. Um, so that's that's another uh, nice little uh, uh, way to reduce your taxes and maximize uh, the impact of the money. Um, okay, had to sneak in a few tax tips there. Love it. Um, Jordan, uh, is, is there anything you'd like to discuss on philanthropy that we haven't touched upon? Uh, Mark, any further questions for Jordan? I think it's been a great discussion and I think it's a great opening discussion. I'd love to, if Jordan's willing to put up with us, come back again 
and we could even you know dive deeper into the organization he's involved with um and talk you know get into the weeds even a little bit more uh and more specific about how someone can go about finding an organization you mentioned you know charity navigator and guide start i've used those and they're great sourcing and sorting uh sites um and i think that would be of interest uh to to many listeners so i'd, I'd like to uh you know invite jordan back um in the not too distant future and we can kind of have a part two of this because i think i think this is near and dear to to almost everybody's heart and and honestly, if it's not, then they're heartless and we're not interested in, in, in working with them. So, you know, you can turn it off now, but um, uh, I think it'd be a great topic to continue. Oh, I, I, I wholeheartedly accept your invitation. I'd be excited and honored to come back and talk about it and maybe even get some uh, finance advice in the meantime. Well, we'll see about that. But yeah. <laughs> Spe- speaking of which, not financial advice, but I'm going to take Jordan to sushi now for uh, uh, for have, for being willing to come on the podcast. So, uh, Jordan, if you want to say goodbye to our listeners, and then Mark, if you want to take us home, thank you for listening today. Have a great day. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, thanks, Stephen. Jordan, thank you so much. This has really been interesting, and and as Steve mentioned, that you know we really. Uh, Almost everything we do has really been, you know, finance first, and any guests we've had kind of circled around that. This is this was this was a a, a great time, well spent. Thank you for joining us. Uh, remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice, and please consult your own financial advisor and tax advisor whenever considering any investment. If you have questions and you're one of our clients, please email us with the term podcast in the subject line. For more information about this podcast, our hosts, and our guests, please visit us at www.mk-am.com or email us at info at mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you in the very near future.